this morning till it comes true. We've been talking as we as we work our way through Acts. Uh, we've been talking about connecting uh, what we're learning in Acts to the Great Commission. So Jesus said, "I want you to go." And if you just think about last week, uh, the, you know we want to go love our neighbors. We're not we're not asking that our neighbors come to us. Now, if they did, we would love them, but we're taking the first step. And I think that is something that's really important. It's something that can get lost. In a local church, we stop taking steps out. We stop initiating. And we, we just expect, well, we'll have a nice billboard or we'll have a nice building and so people will just come to us. But that's not what Jesus said. I want you to go. I want you to go to your neighbors. I want you to go to the nations. And as you go, I, w- I want you to make disciples. And I, and I really think we can kind of simplify that too. If you're following Jesus and you invite someone to follow Jesus with you, you're making a disciple. That's where it starts. It doesn't stop there, but it starts there. Hey, I'm following Jesus, and I'd like you to come along. Anybody that comes along with you, you are now apprenticing them in following Jesus. Make it that simple. That's what it is. And then people follow along until they say, you know, I, I want to identify with Jesus, and I want to identify with this thing called church. And so there's a baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then that person now becomes, you know, somebody in a local church in the body of Christ, and they're now taught to obey all the things that Jesus commanded. Part of the reasons of kind of walking through that is you go through Acts, there's really a big difference between proclaiming, announcing, and preaching. And one of, one of the things that, that's stamped on the back of Chad and, and Beth is, it's, gosh, we, we just live at a day where... Whether I like it or not, what I do in preaching is, is, in the mind of a lot of people, is connected with just speaking down to people, having a tone of condemnation, being judgmental. And it's really, it's really made me back off because I don't see Paul and Barnabas doing that in Acts at all. I see them going into these communities and they're saying, there is, there's, a, there's a king. And that king brings a kingdom. And that's something that's going to be really good. So they're, they're making this announcement in every city that they go, and then people start following along. And then once those people are baptized, then they begin the teaching. You know, I, I do feel like I can, I can preach or I can teach us to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And I believe that, you know, you're, you're in this room. Uh, you're kind of you're asking for some direction. We're all here to learn how can we best live in following Jesus. I I think I have permission to speak to us about our behavior. I don't have the same permission to speak to people outside of this this building. I just have this growing concern that that our faith, again, just keeps being reduced. And what our faith becomes is I'm going to correct everybody's behavior around me. That's not what Jesus did. And that's not what Jesus has invited us to do. Are there some disturbing things that happen in our world? Sure. Do I think that everything's okay? No. But do I have permission to tell people they're doing something wrong when they're not a baptized follower of Jesus? I don't think so. Now, they might ask me, and I could give my opinion. But if my job is to bring condemnation to everybody that's not living like someone who's following Jesus, what is that? So, I think there's a difference between proclaiming 
announcing the king and the kingdom, and preaching, teaching. And as we follow Paul and Barnabas, they're just basically going to their neighbors and their nations. They're starting, they go out on the first missionary journey, they leave from Antioch, and they go to Cyprus, which is, that's where Barnabas, that's his home country. So he went to his neighbors. Then they went up into Turkey. That's where Paul was from, from Tarsus. So they're basically going to their neighbors. Now, I extended our neighborhood a little further than the blocks around us by going to Luton. And on this little map, just, there are just a few places, because we've had this connection with Kathy and what she does. This little town down here, Harpenden, is where Kathy's been. This is where Youth with a Mission has a mission campus called the Oval, beautiful spot here. Kathy has now moved to Luton. She lives here, and she's close to Caddington. That, those are all going to be the players in what I'm going to tell you about. Luton, London is over down here, so a little northwest of London in Luton. And I, and I visited a neighborhood called Farley Hill. And Farley Hill is a government estate. In English uh, terminology, what that means, it's a government housing project. It means that everybody, I think there's 12,500 people that live in this neighborhood. Everybody's on some kind of government support. And Kathy and the School of Reconciliation and Justice has moved into the vicarage. Now, the vicarage, uh, this is an unfair picture because this is pre-remodeled vicarage. So it looks a little trashy in the backyard. No longer looks trashy in the backyard. And this is also the back of the building. I couldn't find the front of the building, so just be patient with me. So the week that I'm there, uh, I'm living in this house. Important. This is the kitchen window. This is the dining room window. This is the family room. That's the guy's dorm, I think. I don't know. Guy's dorm room. I had a little private bedroom there. Kathy has a private bedroom. Guy's dorm, girl's dorm. So all in this house together. And we're in, uh, well, I should tell you, vicarage is the residence of a vicar. And the vicar is the title that is given to some of the parish priests in the Church of England. So this vicarage is right next door to St. John the Baptist. It's an Anglican church. It's a funny-looking little church. Go on to the next slide. Keep going. There it is. Because it looks like, like then when they constructed it, it looks like they forgot this half. I, I do think it's a really poor neighborhood. I really do think they ran out of money. So uh, the vicarage is, you can't see it, but the house is right here. So Kathy and the School of Reconciliation Justice, they live right here. And they're working in partnership with this Anglican church and the next church, All Saints Church in Caddington. So I wanted you to see those. And in the neighborhood that they're in, there is a pub. Most, you know, most neighborhoods in England have a pub. This has got to be the worst pub in England. This is not a pub you'd want to go to. It's called the Parrot. And do you notice this flag? You remember that Kathy was part of the Reconciliation Walk, and the Reconciliation Walk was an apology for the Crusades. She, I mean, literally people walked from Germany to Jerusalem along one of the crusade trails and they said, we're sorry. Our forefathers came with a sword and they slaughtered people wholesale. It didn't matter. 
Jew, Muslim, Eastern Christian, you know, if you weren't one of us, and see that cross, what does that look like? It looks pretty much like the Crusader cross. (laughs) So in this neighborhood called Farley Hills, again, people on government subsidies, working class people, that pub is the birthplace of the English Defense League. Basically, the English Defense League is a group that says if you're not white and you're not Christian, quote Christian, and you're not English, you shouldn't be in England. And so their their whole, I mean, you can you can can't, I mean, you, I mean, English Defense League peacefully protesting in Luton, and these two guys have black hoods over their feet. <laughs> Does that, I mean, does that, does that like speak of peace to you? Yeah, you can say it, but the reality is these guys are not really very kind guys. And uh, that's, that's, that's the neighborhood that Kathy has entered with this school of reconciliation and justice. So the Anglican Church said, well, you know, we, we, we are in a neighborhood that really needs to know more about uh, reconciliation and justice. Could you come kind of help revitalize our parish? The parish is dying. So Kathy and crew came. And I'm sorry you can't really see them as well. But here's Kathy, my sister, our friend, Meg, Nanzip, Tinashe, Shelley, and Malik. Now, what, what's, what do you like when you look at that crowd? What, I mean, they're not all white, right? So they're now moving into a, you know, a common house in this neighborhood that is saying, you've got to be white to live here. They're all Christian. That's okay. But they're not all British. See, the School of Reconciliation, just you have Kathy from the USA. You have Nanzip, who's from northern Nigeria. There's a big difference between the south and the north of Nigeria. He's engaged to Becky. She's from the UK. We had Noel with us from Harpenden for a couple of days. He's from Rwanda. And then there's an intern in the house, a lady, Shama. She's from Uganda. Then you have Shelly. She's from Wisconsin, but somebody from Wisconsin that's ended up in Swaziland. When she's 15, her family moved to Swaziland and probably is not going to leave. That's southern Africa. Meg, who's from South Dakota, but she's married to a Brit, so she's living in England. And Malik, Syrian. Now, that's interesting. And then Tanache from Zimbabwe. So all of these folks have shown up in the School of Reconciliation and Justice, and this is what they're in this neighborhood to do. In a, in a world of broken relationships and shattered ideals, Jesus requires strong hands to, to sow seeds of reconciliation and justice. Interesting connection to where Otto just was taking you all. See, they're sowing seeds too. Our goal is to train and empower others to a life of reconciliation that flows into peacemaking and justice ministries. Our aim is to train individuals or teams to work in many different areas of society that needs God's work of reconciliation and restoration, this neighborhood being one of those places. See, on Farley Hill, probably like many other places around the globe, there's a real clash of values. So in relation to those that are your neighbors, are we going to love our neighbors or are we going to hate 
our neighbors? Are we going to tolerate our neighbors? I mean, if our neighbors are racially and religiously different than us, are we going to tolerate them or are we going to be intolerant? Are we going to live with our neighbors' trust and we're going to trust in kind of common humanity or are we going to just live in fear of one another? To tell you the state of the neighborhood, the kids don't play on the streets in Farley Hill. Kathy and group have been there mm, six months. The kids come ring their doorbells. They make cookies. They all come do all kinds of stuff. The mothers have come to Kathy saying, we now feel safe. Our kids can go outside and play because you're in the neighborhood. Interesting. When I look at my neighbors, do I want to live at peace with them or do I want to be in, uh, just un, unrest? Do I, do I want to live with kind of nonviolent activity with my neighbor or do I want to be violent? Do I value multiculturalism? You know, this land is our land. Or do I, do I disdain multiculturalism? This land is my land. Get out. I mean, they, there's really this clash of values in this neighborhood. It's bigger than Farley Hill. I think you can relate it to things here as well. And then I kind of enter into this house with these people and I bring our, our values of the vineyard. I taught all week on the theology and the practice of the kingdom of God as it relates to reconciliation and justice. We experience God by worshiping every day together in that little living room. It seemed that what we were doing together was really culturally relevant because the school's calling and asking us to come help. Uh, the church next door is asking. Catechism, I mean, it just, just, just seemed that there are all kinds of opportunities around Luton. It is a reconciling community, and there's a lot of compassion towards those that need mercy ministry in that neighborhood. And what, what I kind of came to, it wasn't a crisis. I just, I just, the lights were just going on. And, and it was like I, 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 got, I was invited to speak at Caddington, the church, All Saints Church. Well, that, that church, they don't know when that church started. They started building the building in 1275. So it was a little overwhelming to me to stand in a church building that was 714 years old thinking about our 11-year-old congregation. There's a little difference there. But then the diversity, you know, living in a house, learning together, living together with a Syrian, a Swazi, a Nigerian, a Ugandan. I mean, how does this work? How, does, how can we be in this house? And it's, a co- it's not like it's a spacious house. It's a co- how, do, how are we doing this? How are we pulling this off? How is this even working? And we're living in Farley Hill, which is like the economy of Farley Hill. Is I've never lived in a government project in my life. So how's that working? It's multicultural. I'm in Luton. 200 languages are spoken in Luton. It's a multi-faith city as well as multicultural. So just how? how? With all of this stuff, you know, we say we're a diverse community. I mean, I've, I was like over the top in diversity. But things were working. Why? How did it work? And I really came to a conclusion, hey, it's working. There's, there's these, whatever the house rules are, and some of them were spoken, some were not, somehow 
these, these rules of the household, how people got, they were working that everybody got along together. Nobody felt like they, they had to stop being Swazi to be part of the community. Everybody just kind of brought the best of their culture together in this, this small home, and then it kind of flowed outside of that. And in the midst of that, I'm asked to speak at this 700-year-old church. And I was given an assignment, Matthew 5, 21 to 37. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry with anyone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in the danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. The ancients said this, but I'm saying this. Jesus will all go on and say, you've heard the command says you must not commit adultery. But I say, if you even look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. He says, if you've heard it say in the law, a man cannot can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say, you see, the he's saying, you know, it was said, now it is said. It was said and it is said. And so as I brought all this, kind of my experience of the week in this house, the diversity, how is this working, it really, I think, helped me see this passage in a way that I had never seen it before. What I think Jesus is doing is saying there's new house rules. We've had some old house rules. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. A man can divorce his wife. You must not break your vows. But I say, I think he's setting some new house rules because his house is expanding. And his house is becoming more and more diverse. So he's setting these new house rules. Then I backed up a little bit in the context. The context really helps. Jesus says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I think we misunderstand all the time why Jesus came. Don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No. I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you'll be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. These are the questions. How does Jesus... Fulfill the purpose of the law and the prophets. What must be achieved before the law and the prophets disappear? What does the kingdom of heaven have to do with this? You've heard that our ancestors were told. You know, God did speak his law to Israel. God did write on the Ten Commandments. And then a covenant, the old covenant, was written down. Why? What was the purpose of God giving law to Israel? 
Now, in my American pietism, my whole focus is on, well, he gave laws because he wanted me to obey. And it is true. Obedience is a good thing. To obey what God says is a good thing. But that's not the purpose. The obedience is serving a purpose. What's the purpose? Here's my suggestion. That what God has always wanted since the rebellion in the garden, He's always wanted to be placed back in the middle of His creation as the King. I want to be the king in the middle of my people. And I want to give out the law that is best for people to follow because they enjoy the shalom. That means the best things of life are given to the people who have God in the middle and God is the one who is ruling. And he's ruling through these are the laws. This is the way life works best. So the purpose of the law and the prophets was that God would be king on the earth with people. And he picked out Israel to do that, saying, Israel, if you'll do that, you will demonstrate to the nations around you what it looks like to have God as king in the middle of people on the earth And life works really well for them because I want all the nations to receive the blessings of Abraham, which is God in the middle of people ruling and reigning. If you follow the story of the Old Testament, Israel received the law, but pretty quickly started interpreting the law. And as they interpreted the law as they made the law more and more and more about them as a nation, they cut themselves off from the nations. So now the nations couldn't see what it was like for God to be in the middle of people ruling and reigning. People couldn't see the kingdom. And so God in the middle of that says, Hey, I never thought about this before until this trip. You know, if you guys are not going to rub shoulders with the Gentiles, I'm going to kick you out of here so you will. So there was a deportation to Assyria. And there was a deportation to Babylon. God is really serious about reaching the nations. God's really serious about establishing His kingdom back on the earth with people so that people benefit from His rule and His reign. And thinking that, maybe, well, maybe that's 70 years away. <laughs> maybe they would get the point. Okay, we've got to live in relation with Gentiles, Babylonians. They came back to the land, but by the time Jesus shows up, Jesus says, you, what in the world? You have the tradition of the elders. You've gone right back to interpreting the law so that what you now are following is called the tradition of the elders. It's not even God's law anymore. And you've created this closed system. You've cut yourself off from the Gentiles. Therefore, they're never going to see what it looks like. For God to rule and reign, they won't see the kingdom with what you're doing. And so Jesus comes and he says, now I'm saying to you, the kingdom is arriving. 
and the king will reign on the earth in the middle of all the nations. And the kingdom now has a new law. And that new law is going to be better. And stick with Jesus when he says, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, if there's anger in your heart, you've already committed the, the murder. What, what's he saying? He's saying that in, in establishing his rule, his reign with people on the earth, in the middle of them, what he's creating is something better than what people have ever known. He's actually saying that in my kingdom, when I'm really ruling and reigning among people on the earth, there will be no murder. Because everybody is going to address the rage that is within. So if we have, you know, if the rage within is addressed, then it's not, you're not going to live it out in murder. And what I'm bringing, my rule, there's not going to be divorce because there's not going to be any kind of unattended lust within a person. So you're not, you're not going to, that's, that's done. He's, he's introducing something better. But it's based upon what God has always wanted. And He wants His kingdom on the earth among His creation. So within our community, as I'm away and I'm learning this stuff, I'm, I'm hearing things, I'm hearing stirrings. I've written down three of them. Someone in our community wrote... I was awakened one night and laid awake for a few hours trying to figure out how to do my part to help change the world. Now, when I read that, I thought, wow, we are getting it. See, this isn't just about me obeying the details of the law of God, trying to figure out, oh, golly, how am I not going to call anybody an idiot? That's really hard for me not to call somebody an idiot. You know, every guy in the room can relate to, oh, golly, I mean, I got to, okay, lust. What am I going to do with that? How am I going to do what do I do? So we just, we've concentrated on this piety. And it's really gotten us nowhere. Because we've missed the point. The point is that if our focus is on God ruling and reigning in our midst and God changing our world, God wants to change this world that we know. And he wants to start now. It's not just about later. And he's doing it through us. So this person in our community, it's way that uh, God, I'm awake. I can't go to sleep. I'm trying to figure out what is my part to help change the world. That's, that's, we're on track. Another was reading an N.T. Wright book. And in that book, N.T. Wright says, what roadblocks are there in the way of God's blessings reaching the world today? Well, one of the greatest roadblocks is what Israel did. When we make revelation from God something about us and not about the world, that is a roadblock. We we are to be a signpost. People are supposed to look at us, people following Jesus, people together living in a community in obedience to their king, 
And they're supposed to say, wow, that looks like that's really good. And when we make it about shutting ourselves off from people that aren't like us, and we just start correcting the misbehavior of people around us, that's a big roadblock to the blessing of God reaching the nations. The last, I want to be part of something bigger than myself that contributes to the greater good of the world. That's it. So what, 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 I, how, you know, what do I say? What do I say to our community in light of all this? Well, one, Jesus is the king and his kingdom is arriving. And we want to receive and proclaim both of those truths. That, we want that to be the focus of who we are as, as a group of people. And then we want to do the next thing. We want to do our part in God's purpose coming true now. So what that means is, we, 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 are going, we, we want to see Jesus enthroned. Jesus, you're here. Jesus, you're our king. Jesus, we want to respond to you as a king. So we want to follow the new law. And we want to demonstrate to our, to our generation the beauty of God ruling in our midst. And us receiving from that rule the very best of life. See, life doesn't work best if Jesus isn't in charge. If I'm in charge of myself, it doesn't work well. If I try to be in charge of you, it really doesn't work well. But when we say, Jesus, you're the king, we want you to influence us with the power and dignity of your rule. And then, Jesus, what do you want to do through us on the earth for our generation. If those are our two prayers, again and again and again, then we will demonstrate to the people around us, oh, that's what it looks like when God's in charge. And those people, their lives, it's not going to be perfect, but there is blessing for all of us. So if you would, let's do two things. One, Mike, if you'll go tell Susan that we're finished. And if we could, the rest of us, if we could stand. And let's pray for a moment. Now, I can stand before you and I can say Jesus is the king. And that's a good thing. I mean, I'm going to keep saying that because I think that is just really, really pivotal, and I want us to get that. But, you know, it's really, really important for you, individually, personally, privately, and then corporately, to say to Jesus, Jesus, you are the king. And Jesus, I want you to influence my life with the power and the dignity of your rule. I mean, that's something we all, I, I want all of us, to learn how to pray that. Then I want all of us to be able to say, now Jesus, now that, now that your kingdom is here, 
Now that I'm recognizing your power and your authority, your dignity, now what do you want to do? What do you want to do through us? It's not what we want to do. It's not what I want. It's what he wants. What do you want, Jesus? What do you want to do through us for our generation? And so somehow I just, I want that to be our posture. So I'm going to say, the, I'm going to say those words. But if there's some way that you can grab onto those, that you can receive those, that you can make those your own, and that it becomes something that we're doing, it will be really good. All right? So Jesus, we want this community to be centered on you. We want it to be centered not just on the fact that you love us, not just on the fact that you forgive us, not that on the fact that you save us, but on the very fact that you are the king. You and you alone are the final authority in all of history and all of creation, both now and forevermore. Jesus, be enthroned in our community. Influence us with the power and the dignity of your rule. Let your kingdom come. And Jesus, as we acknowledge, you are the king. You are the king. Our prayer is, what do you want to do through us, Jesus? for our neighbors. Jesus, what do you want to do through us for the nations? Jesus, what do you want to do through us for our generation? We ask that you would rule and reign here and that we as a group of people would demonstrate to those around us what the kingdom looks like. Lord, we want to bless the nations with your rule. We ask that that blessing would start with us. So, Lord, let the shalom come. Let the good life come. Let let the blessing come. Because we're enthroning you. Because we're striving to live in relationship with you. Demonstrating to the world around us that life is best when you're the king. We bless you, Lord. We thank you in your name. Amen.